Good morning, everybody. It's so good to be here today. Uh, if you don't know, my name is Mr. Seth. I am the kids coordinator. Uh, I also do some dancing. <laughs> I don't do dancing. Um, my job in worship is to be an encourager, right? That's the biggest part for worship, and, and really kids ministry in general, is to encourage that stuff. And that's why we do candy, right? Because that is a great way to inspire kids to worship, right? It's very awesome when you say, hey, you did such a good job worshiping today, I'm going to get you guys an extra piece of candy, right? And so uh, that's a really good tactic. It works super well. Uh, I want to say hello to the online crew. What's up, guys? What's going out there? I'm looking at myself right now, and I look like a ghost. And so I promise you in real life I'm not this white. I'm really white, not that white. <laughs> so yeah, I'll just go ahead and start off with that. So um, the title of today's sermon is called, Let Me Tell You Who I Am. And so a little bit of context before we go, get, go ahead and get into today's message is a couple months ago, Pastor Mike was like, hey, I'd like for you to preach again. And I said, uh, sure, yeah, I'd love to do that. I, I love getting up and getting to talk to adults. It's so much fun. But he said, let me give you a little bit of uh, boundaries. Let me give you some, some things that we're going to be talking about at this particular season. That's so he let me know that we're going to be talking about something called no perfect people. That was going to be the theme, was no perfect people, talking about people who uh, were just like us in the Bible, right? They, that the people in the Bible were like us. They weren't perfect. And specifically, talking about issues of faith. And so um, I thought about this for a while, and immediately I thought of one person in particular. And it's nobody in this room, right? So you can take a deep breath. It's actually Jonah. Jonah in the Bible has something um, that really at least it resonated with me, and I wanted to talk about it. Um, but before I get into that story, I kind of want to talk about a personal story that really kind of defines this whole talk for today. So we're going to go back in time a couple years, two, three years. This is when I was still going to school in Alamogordo at the Worship Center School of Ministry. And um, they announced that they were going to be doing this big trip to Brazil. There's this trip, two weeks, going to Brazil, um, getting to go spend some time in Sao Paulo, and then taking an eight-hour trip uh, and going up to Rio de Janeiro, which, uh, spoiler, I don't know if you guys knew this, Brazil is like really big, right? Like, like, like we drove eight hours, and we like went from here on the map to there. I was like, whoa, this is a big place. So I didn't expect Brazil to be that big. Um, but when I heard when I heard that they're going to be doing this missions trip, something in me was like, dude, you got you to gotta get on this trip. You got to go there. Like, this is going to be awesome. And so the problem at the time was I was a really, really, really poor college kid, right? Like, super poor. And the total amount all in, visa, uh, vaccines, you have to get, like, hundreds of dollars of vaccines to go out of the state. I don't know if you guys knew this, right? Like, hundreds of dollars of vaccines. Um, all of that was about... $2,500. And I was like, that's a lot of money. And I had about three months to raise it. And so um, when you are raising money, you end up sending these letters out and being like, hey, I'm going to go to Brazil. I know you barely know me, but can you give me some of your money? Right? Like that's kind of this thing you do. And it's always awkward. And so uh, I don't like talking to people in that. Like it's like, I kind of want to ask people that I really know, but I don't really know a lot of people. So I was like, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. And so I started sending out letter after letter after letter after letter, and they just weren't going anywhere. I transitioned to doing like in-person conversations. Those weren't going anywhere either. And so I had at the time maybe raised about, about 1,500, 
some of that coming out of my savings, uh, some of it coming from some awesome givers from my hometown in Carlsbad and some awesome givers in Alamogordo. But I was still feeling the pressure because I had about a couple weeks left and I was still $1,500 shy. Like I was, I was a good margin shy for me. Um, and so it just so happened that I was gonna be going down to Carlsbad, New Mexico, if you don't know that. I'm born and raised Carlsbad, New Mexico. Uh, at that time in my life, I was driving this white pickup truck that was reliable-ish, right? Like, like you're like, I'm gonna get to where I'm going, probably, but it always had this little bit of like, but I might not, I might blow a tire, I might have something go on with the engine or something like that. It was, turns out this truck, fast forward, incredibly reliable, but you just never quite knew. So what I kind of planned in with this truck was traveling down to Carlsbad, a four hour drive, and going to my uncle's shop. My uncle is a machinist, he is a mechanic, he's, he's brilliant. Um, he's brilliant when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like it's crazy how good he is at machining and stuff like that. And so I was down in his shop, um, but to give you a little bit more context about my uncle Leo, he's not a very spiritual man. He's not a spiritual, but he never went to, he, you know, his Sundays were, were spent working on cars in the shop or hanging out with friends and doing what he wanted to do, making some new machining parts or things like that. Um, and so we just never really grew up talking about faith with him. And um, it just wasn't a big priority. A super frugal, hardworking guy. And so we were actually swapping the battery on my truck. And he ends up asking me the question. He goes, hey, how are things going with, with Brazil? I was talking to your dad on the phone a couple days ago. And uh, my dad is his brother. <laughs> There's a little context for you. And he was saying, you're having some hard time with this. And in the moment, I was just like, I'll just say something just to pass the moment. I know he doesn't really care. He's just kind of, you know, being polite. And uh, something checked me, and I think it was the Holy Spirit, and he was like, dude, just, just tell him where you're at. Just let him know where you're at. And so I did. I was like, hey, I'm not doing too well. I'm actually doing quite bad. Um, I, I need a lot of money. And he's like, how, how much money do you need? And I was like, uh, $1,500. And he goes, oh, that's a lot of money, man. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah. And so he's like, I got this coffee can in my office. I, I can, might be able to help the cause. And I was like, wow, that's pretty awesome for him to be like, let me just help the cause. And so we go in his office. He gets this little coffee can, takes the lid off, and then he begins counting $20 bill after 20, after 20, after 50, after $100 bill. And after about 10 minutes of just counting money, he ended up giving me $1,500. Just didn't, which, Blew my mind he had that much money in a coffee can just sitting on the side of his computer. But he was just like, yeah, man, this is just odd job here and there for the past 10 years, like $20 here, $20 there. Like, it, it adds up, and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, and I just want to support you. But it blew my mind, and it, and it was such a crazy thing because it was something so outside of who I had defined my uncle as that even when I went uh, to the house when I was visiting my parents, my mom started crying. It was that big of a deal that she started crying because it was just so out of what we thought character for my uncle. And so um, that's kind of what we're talking about today, but with Jonah, because Jonah had the same issue with God. And so um, the book of Jonah teaches us the misery of being out of sync with God. I know that sounds pretty... Pretty intense, but we're going to go ahead and um, 
recap the story real fast. So Jonah only has four books. It's a pretty short uh, book of the Bible. It has four chapters. I'm going to go ahead and just speed through one through three. I encourage you to just read them. Like I said, it's not a lot. So here we go. Jonah is a prophet of God. He speaks the truth of God. That's a pretty crazy job. You can't really get fired from that because, like, if you don't listen to God and God's like, hey, I'm going to have to fire you. We're really not working out. You still have the potential to go pretend that you're that thing and get free coupons or whatever, right? Like, you could do some damage. And so, um, basically, God told Jonah to go preach a repenting message to the Assyrians, uh, specifically a town called Nineveh. Uh, if you don't know about the Assyrians, um, there's kids in the room, so I'm not going to get too graphic, but they were really, really, really bad people. The way that they conquered and controlled nations is absolutely brutal and diabolical. And the stuff that I learned in Bible school was like, oh, this is some... It's, they're really bad people, right? So go on your free time, go Google that, or maybe don't. Like, it's, it's, in, it's some insane stuff. And so... Jonah goes, hey, God, no. Those are some really mean people. I'm not going to go do that. I would rather die. And we know that because God has, God has ended the life of prophets for saying no for much less. And so Jonah also knew this. So when he said, I'm actually going to go to a play called Tarshish. It's pronounced Tarshish. I don't have a speech impediment. Um, I'm going to Tarshish, which is the furthest um, west you could go at that time. It's the furthest west, meaning he's going the opposite direction, saying, instead of doing what, I, what you want me to do, I'm rather going to die. And so he ends up getting on this boat, going to Tarshish. Uh, he has to take a boat to get there. And he finds himself in this really crazy storm, like this phenomenally, like, I'm in over my head kind of a storm. Um, the crew on that boat end up casting lots. They find out that it's Jonah. Jonah says, just throw me off the boat, probably fix some stuff. It does. He gets swallowed by this gigantic fish, and Jonah, in the belly of this fish, has a come-to-Jesus moment, right? And we know this because if we go to the Hebrew, they actually use, this is, this is some Bible nerd stuff, they use different words between the first time and the last time he's in the belly of the fish. So when he first gets swallowed by the fish, they use the male version of the word stomach, which refers to the word stomach. But after he gets spewed out, when they talk about the stomach, they use the female version of the word in Hebrew, which refers to womb. So within that time of being in the belly of the fish, he had this moment of, first off, experiencing God's mercy. Right? When he was in that fish, he realized, I should be dead, but I'm not. God is giving me mercy that I don't deserve. And so that's really cool. That's like a little Bible nerd moment for you. Um, he has that encounter. He gets spewed up on the land, gets vomited, gross stuff, probably smelled really bad, ends up going to Nineveh, and this is the important part right before we get into today's message. He does it. He goes and he preaches a message to the Assyrians. He tells them to repent, to turn away from their wickedness, and they say yes. They accept that, and they turn away. They turn away. They stop doing what they do, and... That's where our story starts. We're going to be reading out of Jonah 4, 1 through 5. And this is very interesting because Jonah is acting in a way that you would not expect for him to act. So here we go, starting with Jonah 4, 1 through 5. But to Jonah, 
This seemed very wrong, and he became angry, angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That this, that that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing, fleeing to Tarshish. I knew, I knew, you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take me away, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat at, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So something remarkable and joyous has just happened, right? Like a city had been spared from destruction because of their responsiveness to Jonah's preaching. That's awesome, right? Like God was ready to just be a justice, justice-filled God and to end this corruption and, and, and bad living that the Assyrians were doing at this particular time. But he didn't do that. They were receptive. And so this is awesome, right? Most, and actually most people were, overjoyed with the results, but Jonah wasn't. Jonah was outraged, he was sullen, and he was suicidal. Like, he was so mad that he was darn suicidal. He was like, you know what? This is so silly. This is so ridiculous. I just want to die. Right? Like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I'm unhappy with what I had to do. Because God and Nineveh were, were rejoicing while Jonah was sulking. So the question is, why? Because God's radical mercy towards a brutal enemy. God decided to spare and show this amazing mercy to this brutal enemy that really did not deserve that mercy. But then again, that's the definition of mercy. So Jonah lament, Jonah's lament in chapter 4 is to show how out of sync he is with God's heart. And that's kind of what we're talking about right now, is the whole reason Jonah is so frustrated and mad is because he's out of sync with God's heart. God is doing something, and he's mad. He's not happy. He's not joyous. He's mad. He's out of sync with God's heart. There's actually a really cool narrative transition in 4, where we stop talking about these bigger things like uh, the Assyrians and God, and we actually, in 4, we transition to talking about the inner workings of Jonah. Um, and more importantly the presumption of moral superiority over the Assyrians. Jonah thought that he had some moral, like, moral superiority over like, what should actually happen to the Assyrians. Basically, like, he thought that he had some buy-in to tell God, well, it really should happen this way when you think about it, right? But he doesn't, because God's God. You know, God's mercy, at the end of the day, was infuriating to Jonah, because Jonah had an issue with God's character. He thought that there was a character flaw in God, from Jonah's point of view, mercy was shown, and that jeopardized God's relationship with the covenant of Israel. So because God showed this mercy to the Assyrians, he's like, what the heck is this? Like, we have this covenant, we've been doing all this awesome stuff, but you're, you're going to do this? What, why? Why are you going to do this? You know? And so at the end of the day, what it is, is 
Jonah ended up putting God in a box. Right? He put God in this box of expectations. He put God in a box of limits and, and said, this is who you are, and this is who you're always going to be. And um, I'm going to go ahead and say this. This, is, this might be frustrating, but it's, it's good, so here we go. Putting God in a box leads to frustration, confusion, and is the single biggest reason why your faith feels stagnant. I'm going to say that one more time. When we put God in a box, you're going to get frustrated. You're going to get confused. You're not going to understand, wait, why is this happening this way that it is? And it's the single biggest reason why your faith feels stagnant. So before we keep going on in that, we're going to go ahead and finish up chapter 4. We're going to start with 6 and go all the way to 11. Um, Okay, here we go. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant. Remember, he was just sitting in the shade, checking out the city, seeing what was going to happen. So after that, then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. And the sun rose. God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me. Sorry, one second. It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Jonah is not happy, right? He's pretty darn frustrated. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand, and also many animals? The end. (laughs) The heaven doesn't end well. But man, we can really learn something from that, and that's this. Jonah was out of sync with God's heart. So how do we not do that? How do we stay in sync with God's heart? Well, the first thing we do is this. We look at the character traits he gives us about himself first. Before we get mad at God, the fairest thing, the best thing we can do is we let God describe himself to us. We look for the character traits of who he is. And so... I'm going to go to a very special scripture. It's one, of my, it's one of my most favorite Old Testament scriptures. It's Exodus 34, 5-7. The reason why this is so awesome is there has been a thousand-year covenant with the uh, Israelites at this time that God made with Abraham. But this moment right here, when Moses went up on the mountain, this is the first time when God says, let me tell you who I am. This is the first time when God says, let me tell you who I am. Am. And this is what he says. He says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining thousands, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. 
Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation. And that last bit is pretty heavy. It's pretty intense. It's not as crazy as you think it is, right? Like, I'm going to break that down in just a second. It's actually quite tame. Like, it sounds crazy, but we'll get there in a second. Um, But I don't know if you noticed that that sounds very familiar to what Jonah said in 1 through 4. Because it is what Jonah said 1 through 4, right? He actually quoted this, but he added something. And when he added the thing, that is when, when Jonah overstepped his boundaries. So let's go ahead and let's go over these really quickly, the things that God uses to describe himself. The first is this, compassionate. God describes himself as compassionate. What does it mean to be compassionate? Being compassionate means to to see other people's needs, but to see needs and, and to go the extra step to meet those needs. God is a compassionate God. He will go further than you think he will to meet the need that you have. He's a gracious God. He gives more than what you think he should. Uh, The best example, real quick, that I have is the gift of Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus came, lived a perfect sinless life, and created a restored relationship between us and him. Jesus is a great example of God's grace. The next thing God is is slow to anger. God is slow to anger. God does not jump to conclusions. God is a justful God, and he waits for all the evidence. He waits for all of the pieces to be seen before he moves. He is slow to anger. And he is abounding in love, overflowing with love. God God doesn't just kind of have a little bit. Like he has so much that it's abounding in him. He's also abounding in faithfulness. Basically what that means is God's going to stick with it, right? He's ride or die. He's not going anywhere. He's going to be with you through everything. And then the last thing, We're going to go ahead and read that again real fast. I'm going to go back up. It says, Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generations. All that really means is this. God is consistent or unwavering. And I know that's like, how did you get that out of that, Seth? Well, first off, you have to remember, this is the first time God is explaining himself. He's showing himself to the Israelites. And so what he's saying here is he saying, I'm not treating you different because he just gave a whole bunch of rules and stuff. He's, he's like, I'm not treating you different than I'm going to treat your grandkids. And I'm not going to treat their grandkids different than I'm going to treat them. Saying that what I'm asking of you, I'm asking of everybody within this covenant. He's unwavering. He's not going to say, well, this standard is different between this person and this person. And just to have a little bit more like evidence of that, I'm, I didn't come up with that. I'm just repeating what I heard from a, uh, I listened to this podcast called The Bible Podcast, and a theologian explained that. Because the first time when I heard that, I was like, oh, that's pretty heavy, right? But I actually am, am I'm not just making that up. I'm, I'm actually, like, repeating that from a reparable source. So we went through all of that. We talked about God's character, right? Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in faithfulness, and consistent We allowed him to describe himself to us. There's many, many more times in the Bible that add to the character and a description of who God is. But now we get to the second step, the hardest step, the step that me and you and everybody in this room is going to need to be working on for the rest of their existence on planet Earth. The second step is this, and then we stop. We stop. We fight the urge to take away or add anything about God to make him more appealing to us 
or the world around us. It sounds scary. It sounds hard. But it works, right? God is God. He's a big boy. We don't have to do anything to make him sound better or worse than he is. And that's the, that for me, that's taking up the cross, is to not change God, to let God be God and to let myself move to God and to not move God to me. Like I said, it sounds crazy. And I'm only going to give you one example of how I know this works. And I wanted to spend more time talking about this individual, but I just wouldn't be able to do it justice. But I think the best example of somebody who just let God be God was Billy Graham. This man changed the world by just presenting the gospel and presenting who God was. He didn't have to make him sound like, like cool. He didn't have to put sunglasses on Jesus or anything, right? Like he just let, he just let God be God. And that works because of the truth of the matter is this. God is bigger than you think he is. Whatever you think God is, he's bigger. And any size box you put God in, you made that box. Right? You made that box. The cross that we take up whenever we move in our faith journey is breaking down the box. Breaking down the box. The thing that Jonah didn't do, the thing that made Jonah have such an angry, suicidal life at the end was he wouldn't let go of the box. He wouldn't, he wouldn't let himself move outside of the limitations and the boundaries that he set for his relationship with God. Remember, it's the single biggest thing that is leading to frustration in your faith walk. is the box that you and me and we all create. Because it doesn't matter who you are, what you have done, or what you are going through. God is bigger than that situation. God will meet you where you are in that situation, and he will lead you to something better than what you are currently going through. Right now, I want to take a little bit of time, or we're going to play a worship song. Uh, and, and, and as this song plays, this is one of my favorite songs. This song has literally helped carry me through COVID, right? Like there have been a lot of moments where this was my song. Um, I, I want us to worship to this song. I want us to pray to this song. But I ask, actually also want to have a question. Um, I think it's up on the screen right now that we kind of ponder and think of as the song goes. And it's this, what do you need to add or take away in your vocabulary of how you describe God? What do you need to add what do you need to take away in your description of who God is? So we're gonna, um, if you need to take a picture of that, uh, feel free, because we're going to have like a worship video up in just a second. So um, I'm ready when you guys are to, to start that, that song. So. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to the podcast this week. I hope you felt inspired to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Just a couple next steps that you can take coming out of this. One, rate and review the podcast. That really does get the message out to other people faster, as well as click subscribe to make sure you get the latest content as it rolls out each week. And finally, if you wanna partner with us financially, head on over to our website, click the word give. That's gonna get the message out through our ministries further and faster. Have a wonderful week. God bless.